yeah regardless of what any of I, what i said is true um what what is true is that you should do your best to become a sovereign individual and that includes taking care of your own finances and the only way to do that is bitcoin Ahoy, hoy. I'm doing good. How are you? Cheers, man. Thanks. Nice to meet you guys, and I'm honored to be here. Plebcast. <laughs> oh, 100%. It wouldn't be anything but. Paper hands. Now wait, do do plebs still have laser eyes? Is that is that a designation, or are we not doing that now? I know, but I think some plebs took them down, didn't they? So they're paper. <laughs> Dude, I haven't heard that in months. I miss paper hands, lettuce hands, man. Those were the best memes. Yeah, that's that's kind of sad. You think so? That's right. It's hard. To, it's hard to get through to people, man. Most of them, they're 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 so they're so tentative. Oh, well, when we get to my story, you'll find out. You'll see. We're still so early, man. So early. <laughs> I'm in the camp with laser, laser eyes till Fiat dies. I'm not even... Day level, it's like let's. Yeah. Oh, it's catchier. Oh man, we're gonna. Oof, man, I used to like Joey too. It's too bad. Oh man, I like that one. That's I never heard that one before. That's good shit. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling by 100K, there'll be a new meme that will replace it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I'm, st I'm sticking to the 100K, Min. No, no doubt. No doubt. There's a real, there's a real strong Venn diagram overlap between 
people who are maximalists and people who are, you know, critical, rational thinkers who can just see through the bullshit in, in numerous other fields. And, and that generally includes all shit coinery. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. Makes us easy to spot. Yeah, it's virtue signaling. So is that when you're talking about this <laughs> maximalist frame, are you talking about the little circle around? around okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Virtue signaling your toxic max max it wait, what would it be? Toxicity? Yeah. Do you really? Yeah, I'm at Diligent Ninja, just your average pleb. And I am at Bearded Hoddle. Bitcoin. Yeah, 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 you know. We haven't, we haven't talked in a week. It's time to stretch the old, uh, stretch the old podcasting legs, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been weird. That'd be weird. Tongue is a weird word when you think about it, right? All right. <laughs> <laughs> We can, we can, but real quick, I'm just going to say not financial advice, get wrecked. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I just want to, I just want to be done with that as quick as possible. So this is actually, nice. this is fun. I, this is, this is a fun one. So, uh, Sunday evening shop shop is starting to wind. Oh, by the way, diligent. I don't know if you know or not, whatever, but I do leather work and, um, I'm in a Ren fair right now. So I'm selling my leather work in a shop in a Ren fair kind of a thing. So that's where this story comes from. Um, had a couple, um, they kind of like, they marched up, like they were really, really focused, you know? And they're like, mm -hmm. finally, and that was, that's a weird way to introduce yourself. You know, like when you're coming into somebody's shop, you just say, finally. And I was like, okay, so this is either going to go really well or really badly. I'm not sure which yet. Cause Ren Faire is filled with weird ass people. Like, yeah. Right. So. They're like, we have been looking for you for like the last three hours. Cause you know, rent fair is acres and acres and acres of shops. So, um, and because, oh dude, it's huge. It's, I think the, I think the rent for I'm on is something like 250 acres or something like that. It's no, no, no. That's the thing. You have to walk it. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. So, um, 
yeah, it's it's massive. So anyway, so they've been wandering around, and because I guess because I'm a guest artisan this year, nobody really knows me, which is fine. That's fair. But like, I'm not even on any of the billing anywhere. Like, I, they can't find me on the website. They can't find me in any of like the, the you know they have paper maps that they give out to people when they first come into the park and stuff. And so nobody really knows me. And I think I've talked about it before, but there's another leather guy who shares my last name. He's probably like a distant cousin or something like that. So it's kind of weird because there's two guys with my last name that do leather. And so they started asking because they had my business card. They started asking by my last name. Hey, do you know Doug? And, you know, we, we need to find his shop. And so first they sent them over to the other guy. And then I guess he didn't help because he wasn't the right guy, obviously. And he was, and, and we're cool. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, even though we are competitors, like it's pretty, um, it's, uh, he's, well, he's no me. Like, it's really not a contest, obviously, but also like we do try to help each other out. So like, I don't do belts and he does almost belts exclusively. So if somebody's like, Hey, you want, you, do you have belts? I send them over to him. That's kind of, thing. Yeah. All right, let me ask you a question. Did you get genuine leather? No, that is absolutely not what you want. If there so if you look at if you look at leather like the crust of the earth, right? The top layers are obviously the best cuz that's where like you can plant soil and stuff like that. Same thing with leather. That's where the fibers are the tightest towards the top. Genuine leather is what happens is they basically cut all the top layers off and they do something cool with it. And then they're like, well, now we have all this shit laying you know over. That so the, we'll process it really hard. 100% and it's just barely brand. leather at this point. So we're going to call it genuine leather just so people want it. It's literally just a marketing campaign. Yeah. Genuine leather is literally like the worst leather you can get. Do not, everybody listening... If it says, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, you want to buy top grain, top grain or full grain? I mean, full grain is fine too. Full grain is well. I mean, yeah, it is kind of hard, honestly. Like you kind of have to associate yourself a little bit more with leather to really kind of get to it. It's one of those nuanced things, honestly, like, um, cause there, there is some full grain leather and top grain leather. That's actually kind of shitty. Like it was just manufactured in a bad way. So I would say for a belt, which you first of all want, if your belt isn't a little stiff, I would probably avoid it. Right. First off. So like, if you, if you like you're in JC pennies, is that even a thing anymore? Do you guys even have JC? Okay. Well, you, I'm sure you've seen like the racks where it's just like those long black belts kind of a thing. Um, if they're really floppy, you probably don't want them unless you're really into that. And you know, the, I don't know, whatever. Um, well, yeah, because I'm, I'm kind of talking to you specifically cause you're a work guy. So you're going to want a big hefty belt. So number one, you want that. Number two, you don't generally want, um, stitching in your belt. Cause that, that tends to mean that there are two pieces put together instead of one really thick piece of leather. Oh no. 
done this to so many people. I feel bad sometimes. So, anyways, um, are we good? Have we done a, a good leather moment? Should I? Can I finish my story? Okay. So these guys can't find me for obvious reasons, which I'm not upset about. But this is the cool part. This is where the cool part comes in. They go, they go. So we ended up instead of using your name, we just said he's the guy who takes Bitcoin. And that's that was what kind of like got yeah, them close enough to actually find cool. me because people were like, oh, yeah, I think that guy's over there or whatever. So like that's my heartwarming story like, because I'm literally like the only shop in the entire 250 acres that will accept Bitcoin for my for my good. What's that? Yeah, so it was it was just and and then, of course, like. Because of that, then I got to kind of launch at them. Like they bought some stuff and then, then we literally just, we talked for like 45 minutes about Bitcoin, dude. It was so cool. No, 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 no. They were right on the cusp, man. They're like, so it, I, I would liken it like this. Like if, if they had listened to all of our podcasts, they'd be right about ready. You know, like that's. <laughs> No, but, but so they were, so she was asking it, like, she was really into it. It was kind of interesting because she was like the very dominant pushy one when it came to the finances, obviously, because she was asking me all these questions. And then I was telling her about Safedine's book and the whole nine yards. And, and he was kind of like coasting along. He couldn't really kind of be bothered. could sort of tell. Uh, but she was like, was okay, so general. what about this? And then what about this? And then what do you think about this? I'm like, oh, let me tell you. And it's just like, just went off, man. It was so cool. It was so much fun. Yeah. I did. I said that, but they didn't bite on it. So I was like, I'm not going to push it then. So it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty cool, man. It was a pretty good time. Uh, no, not anymore. I'm divorced. That's all good. Yeah. I think so. I don't know. Diligent, do you have a wife or a significant other? Okay. All right. I've been there, brother. Sorry. So I guess you get to keep all your Bitcoin then, huh? Well, here, I segue. I did a little bit of leather work when I was a kid, and, and I did a couple more pieces when I was an adult uh, just to sort of keep the skills sharp and because there was a project that needed doing. So, uh, yeah, I was kind of uh, having fun with your story there. No, no, no. Yeah, no. I want to start learning about Diligent, man. I want to hear about this guy. Um. Yeah, I've been uh, self-employed for oh, awesome, 15 dude. years. Very cool. Can we ask what what do you do now? Like, what's your what's your gig? Or you can be like, I can't tell you. That's fine too. Yeah, if anything is too personal, man, you just just tell us to fuck off. It's fine. That'll do. All right. Yeah. It does seem to be a running. Remember way when we first started, I was like, I want to create like a, a psychological profile of like who Bitcoiners are. That's definitely 
one of them that that independent minded kind of uh thought process that i really think uh enhances people's ability to accept and to delve into uh, well uh for the last question i have twitter to thank for the full-on maximalism but i first discovered bitcoin in early 2011 um it might have even been late 2010 i remember reading a headline or two and thinking it was interesting and like not chasing that rabbit down the hole just yet and then it was about three months later in like early 2011 where I just found another link and it, it led me back to Bitcoin talk and I, I got the software and I was mining immediately and, and I was hooked. I was up all night uh, reading theory and, you know, there wasn't a lot to go on in those days, but uh, it was just uh, GPU mining in, in the early days. I By the time I got in, the, the days of laptop CPU mining were, were done, but, you know, you could still mine off an average gaming rig. Um, which I, which I already had. So I put it to use doing that and then, and then did a significant upgrade to it. And, uh, yeah, I really liked mining at first. So I started orange people, orange pilling people back in 2011, selling Bitcoins. And, um, unfortunately I didn't have the foresight to really just like hold on to the bulk of my stack. And, and, and I put a lot of it into putting them out there. Um, but then I, I also decided I would double down on the mining. So when Butterfly Labs came along, uh, I made an investment in one of those and watched like the profit, the theoretical profit margins just like dry up to zero before they even shipped the machine out and um, decided to then try the next ASIC mining opportunity that came along, which was Fried Cat at ASIC Miner. And uh, he had taken the ASICs and instead of having the lag time of shipping them to you and, and in these early days, the hash rate was growing so rapidly that even in a couple of weeks with a DHL delivery, you could watch the profit pretty much evaporate. So he hosted a facility in China and set up on a really large scale and started paying direct Bitcoin dividends. And uh, I put the bulk of my stash into that only to watch it, you know, dry up down to zero in, in short order. And, uh, yeah, so that, that was, that, that hurt, you know, um, over time thinking like looking back when you look back and think about what could have been, you know, I don't, you know, not to be another Laszlo or whatever, but it's like, how many coins did I lose? Oh my God. But that's why I'm just your average pleb. Cause I started all over just stacking. And then, and then when I did start all over stacking, it was like, I got taken in by the idea that oh this transaction or, or technical analysis can, can really show you how to, you know, double, triple. So I got, so I first, and then I, so, okay, I got into the idea I could make money doing, doing that. And, and it worked a little bit, you know, in a bull run, everybody's a genius. And, and then, uh, and then I got, you know, I got liquidated on margin and realized like, that's, that's a big mistake. You know, if you're not 90% of traders lose. So, right. So then I, I, I made a, I got another stack and I'm like, well, you know, I'm really into this idea of like, not, not necessarily trading automatic, but what about like automated algorithm trading? And I'm like, I could get an automated algorithm trading and I'll just be real careful about the margin. So it's not using any leverage and it's only trading with like, you know, what you can afford to lose theoretically and, and still get some better returns. And I did, I like basically messing around with the bot settings and use too much leverage again by mistake. <laughs> 
wiped out again. So these are the things that led me to being a maximalist is especially as I'm clicking back on my trading view history and I'm looking at the returns on like buy and hold return. And the buy and hold return is almost always greater than any trading strategy that you can use on Bitcoin. And, and one of the things that really hit me from one of the podcasts was hearing that the bulk of the Bitcoin gains have really come on like a handful of single days in the course of each run. And if you happen to be sitting neutral because you thought you're smart enough to trade, you know, the current conditions and you miss out on that uh, or worse, you thought you were smart enough to go short and get yourself wrecked. Like it just doesn't seem smart. So I'm, I'm back to just like, just stack sats like a pleb. Don't try to be smarter than everybody else. Definitely don't be try to be smarter than these big whales and, and venture capital firms and hedge funds that have enormous amounts of liquidity to push the market around. Just stack sats. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it's so easy for us to look yeah, at we were look at your story and, you know, and kind of you know it was new shake your head or whatever. And but it, we're it, doing it really because guys like, like there you was a did binary, it. You know, like we have uh, that outcome. Like Bitcoin that, could go to the moon uh, or it could go to zero. There doesn't really yeah, seem we like have there your experience to kind of grow off. But of, the, so. the rate at which it was going to go to the moon was really in question. It was it was never as obvious that it was going to happen as fast or that it was going to happen as regularly on on schedule with the supply havings. As recently as last year, I had some traders telling me that, you know, the the supply having was all priced in. Bitcoin's at like four or five grand. They're telling me the, the having's priced in. It's not going to go up. You know, the market already knows it's coming. So and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know, man, like the last three cycles, it, it seems to do this thing. And, you know, with each each further cycle it just becomes clearer and clearer but you know when you're in cycle number one and cycle number two there's not a lot of reference to to go by oh yeah absolutely yeah you just don't have the history to work off of can i Go ahead. No, sorry. Well, people, humans are designed to try to recognize patterns. So I make, I, I get that. That that's that's fine. Um, I I just uh, I just am not smart enough. To, to know the difference, you know, like you could tell me, look, 
day for day, this is exactly happening, like 2013 and 2017. And I would still be like, mm-hmm, cool. I'm just going to DCA because I can't for plebs, man. handle if you the got a stress of, income, of like, then you just trying to time ads, bottoms uh, and time, you know, like, like trying to time. It kind of sucks. My DCA is on Saturday, and it it like hit the 41, and I bought at 41. Meh, okay, fine. You know what? I got more Bitcoin. I don't care. Whatever. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fuck that fiat thinking bullshit, man. <gasps> what? <laughs> the local talk, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that like a daily top or whatever. Nice, nice. Yeah. Hey, can I can I circle back for one second? Because I I was listening to Diligent Talk and there was a question that I think might be interesting to the audience. He kept saying he you kept saying uh you would buy on leverage, right? Can you just real quick like sketch that out real fast? Because uh, part of our target audience, what we're trying to go for is people that are, they don't do this, right? They're not like, maybe well, they've never question, even really I was balanced super their new to it as well. So, so this is what does all, it mean? You know, how does, how does just a regular person um, buy on leverage? Because that does sound like a very, on the, you know, the exchanges I was using hedge fundy uh, kind of thing. Right? So how, did, how, me, how does that uh, work? 5X leverage, which would be say yeah, comparable to buying a mortgage with 20% down. It means that the bank is going to allow you to buy a house that's worth $100,000, or in this case, uh, $100,000 worth of Bitcoin, if you put down $20,000. And they will allow you to essentially gamble with that money on the market. And when you make gains, uh, you get to keep those gains. But conversely, if you make losses, and uh, you can easily wipe out your entire original uh, principal, your, your starting stack. And so what I did as a complete noob and, and just without understanding the danger and the implications is um, I started taking the profits from each and every leverage transaction and folding it back into more leverage. And so I got super extended um, and, and it just made it so when we had even a small retraction, I lost everything. Yeah, well, well, the call is kind of just a constant and permanent. Uh, if you know, if you get if if you run out of liquidity, then then your margin will be called, and you'll take they'll take all wow. your Bitcoin. And so, uh, if you're just doing the five X, then at that nice and let's well, there's, let's there's call a, it there's like a call on it, uh, like know, a margin call or something, in the sense right? that you're not um, compounding the problem, but it's still definitely very dangerous. But you start at that five X, and what that means is if the price goes up you know, you're getting five times as much profit. But if the price comes down one fifth 
If it comes down by 20%, you lose everything. You're gambling, you're multiplying your gains, but you're multiplying. And then, and then if it keeps falling, do you? No, because do you have they'll to, just do an instant so let's say, margin call. Let's say, okay, so you, you're you doing the twenty thousand to hundred thousand. You're at the five x borrowing, like, essentially. Uh, like the, and then the, it drops to chips at the, it drops to half. So then you're in the you hole, know, right? Then then they're coming the after you for money, not just taking what you've already put in, right? I've heard it's theoretically possible, but what will it, it will only really happen oh, if you get shit. stuck in a transaction that you can't find, you know, someone to close out of. So with Bitcoin being fairly liquid, those those transactions tend to get liquidated fairly instantly and the margins tend to get called and you tend to get you just lose everything as soon as it drops by 20 percent. And you're not usually on the hook for more, but I, I won't say it can't happen to somebody. Okay. Right. Okay. And so then just, again, just to kind of like put a bow on it for the listeners, if you had just bought, and again, this is a hypothetical, we're not assuming that you bought $20,000 worth or anything like that. But if you had just bought $20,000 worth of Bitcoin and just held yes. it, even and if the price went if you know, ever did trade 90% did, down, it, you it still hang on like to it. 5%, and then eventually it goes back not, up because not, that's not what Bitcoin is designed to do. Designed to do. And then now you're winning again. That's the lesson to be learned. The majority of your stack should always be just in cold storage. And yes, if the fiat value of it goes down, like it dropped to three grand and now it's back up or five times 40 and, and you would yeah. have seen an unrealized loss um, right. as it goes down. But you're right. It, your number of sats never goes down. If you don't play with leverage, your number of sats never goes down. And the value of that will always trend up over time versus gambling with leverage where you can see an enormous amount of gains in the short term but it's also incredibly risky and most people end up paying a price for it and they have yeah yeah and they, they they will crush you they have the resources to do it Yeah, because like you said, don't don't try to outthink these these big whales because they'll just crush you, you know. So that was actually one of the. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Right. Exactly. And that was actually kind of like just a, going back to my my happy fun time story. One of the first things that the woman said to me was, oh, but Bitcoin is down so much. And I just kind of looked at her and I was like compared to what i was like bitcoin was at like eight thousand in december it's now at 30 you know at the, uh, whatever because i didn't know uh oh yeah let's pause for a second so yeah that was one of the things that uh the woman said to me from my from my story from earlier is that uh she was like 
you know, well, it's just that Bitcoin is down so much, you know, and I just looked at her and I was like, compared to what? You know, if you look at if you look at last December, Bitcoin was at what, like eight, nine thousand or something. And now it's at 30, 35, 30, whatever it was, you know, and I'm like, you got to zoom out, lady. You know, so it's like the, the idea, again, is is guys don't leverage. Don't try to play these fiat games, man. It's not worth it. Bitcoin is Bitcoin can insulate you against having to play those those hedge fund fiat games. That's the whole point, I think. Right. And well, I mean, like Warren Buffett's big trading strategy is just investing in Coca-Cola 50 years ago and then just living long time. Like that's his strategy. Honestly, he wasn't a genius. He didn't, he, this whole Oracle of Omaha nonsense, like he gets tapped like as this big, I'm sorry. I don't think he's big brain at all. I really don't. I think he was just a dude that was like, Coca-Cola is tasty and it has cocaine in it because that's how old I am. So I will, uh, I will just go ahead and invest some in it. And then you hold on to it for like 150 years. And of course you're going to make money. You know, that's like every, every, uh, like time traveling movie, right? Where like you invest in something, like you go back in time and you invest in AT&T when it first gets built or whatever. And then you, you know, you go back to the future and your stock is, it just goes up. That's what happens. You know, it's just, it's so stupid. I don't know. Well, that's actually brings back to a. a really I just don't think he's big brain, right? Like, I think like he just he just hodled before Maxis, hodled was cool, right? I, that's, I didn't understand it. the concept of time preference well enough in in my earlier years, and and obviously the the simplest explanation of that is the child who gets the choice between one marshmallow now and two later. Um, but in the fiat world, it's just when you're poor, it, it seems hard to save. It is. It does seem like it's uh, out of out of reach to save money, and what the moving to a harder money standard, a Bitcoin standard, and just being taught uh, the value of that time preference is is something I wish again I, I could have learned earlier in life. But it's something that really I've been led to through Bitcoin, and in particular through Bitcoin Twitter, because. Uh, my initial draw to Bitcoin was from a technical angle. You know, I was a software programmer who had at one point been tasked with doing some type of distributed database system that ran up against some of the technical problems that were solved by Satoshi. And so I immediately recognized the brilliance of it when I saw it. But I, at that point, didn't know anything about macroeconomics or time preference. And like, again, I was just your average pleb. And so I was really drawn to the software side, but it's been a long journey learning, um, as you said, about what is money and uh, central banking and the whole fiat incentive systems and how insidious they are in manipulating human behavior. 
all of that has been like, you know, a very long journey. And it's, it's awesome for the new people coming in now that there is such a wealth of material, the, the amount of amazing quality books and podcasts that are out there right now for people to absorb. Um, it's a great time. Yeah, and I, I think the comparison to the TCP/IP protocol is a brilliant one because um, it, it it's the underlying protocol on which all of the internet runs. Your average pleb does not need to know how it works to open up an app and surf the internet and go on Twitter. They don't need to understand how that protocol works. Most people don't need to understand how Bitcoin works. They just need to know that it works. <laughs> yeah because i if we if we had to have technical knowledge i'd be hosed honestly you don't need to know how to build your own internal combustion engine to drive a car Stay you know, you kind of, there's fire in there and i push the gas and it gets me <laughs> and, you, and you understand that they're thoroughly audited for safety that's what you understand well i don't trust the government for anything when it comes to safety so fuck that but uh hey i do have another question for you did you have a shitcoin phase? No. Um, right from the Wow. No, I, I did. Um, okay. Well, well, okay. Maybe maybe that's not true. I bought no. Um, I, I got all, I saw the value of Bitcoin right away. And I saw that Litecoin was some bullshit the moment that it came around. And I saw that Dogecoin was bullshit. And I saw all of those coins as bullshit. Um, and then when Bitcoin forked, and I took those forks and dumped them immediately for Bitcoin. Um, but in this cycle, at the earliest point of this cycle, when I was being influenced by the traders, um, I, I bought a, I never believed in them, but I bought a couple of shit coins to try my hand at trading and, and then pretty much sold them when I found Bitcoin, Twitter and maximalism. So, yeah, I, I was never a fan, but I did own a couple on an exchange for a brief period of time. And, and I'm ashamed to admit it. So how long have you been what you'd consider a maximalist then? Honestly, just since I found Bitcoin Twitter, which is only about six months. Okay. I mean, okay. So but like I said, when happened, right. I saw when, when Litecoin came around and just decided to go with script hashing. And I was like, well, this is literally just some bullshit where they're just trying to chisel off a piece of Bitcoin. Um, I saw the same thing with basically every other altcoin that ever came along. I saw them as trying to steal a bit of Bitcoin's thunder. I never saw them as offering any real value proposition. 
Ethereum in particular, I've always recognized as a shitcoin. Uh, and and I just want to be again clear for the audience. You're saying this as somebody who understands code and kind of knew what he was looking at, right? Absolutely. Like, I just I want right. The okay. The so, thing is that Bitcoin's immutability and its inherent properties are a balance of it's a compromise, as is any anything um, well designed. It's a compromise, and so anytime I see a shitcoin come along and say we're doing faster transactions, we're doing <coughs> excuse me smaller faster, cheaper, whatever, whatever metric they're using, they've just skewed an otherwise perfect balance and created something less perfect. Awesome. See, and that's, I think that's important for people to hear because Jeff and I have the, like, you can't even, you couldn't fill a thimble with our technical knowledge, honestly. So we, we kind of come at it from like more of a philosophical application kind of a thing. And to have somebody who kind of knows, I'm assuming you know what you're talking about, to somebody to say, you know, <clears throat> no, from a technical aspect, this is garbage. Not philosophical, but just straight up code, this is garbage. I think it's an important thing to, to, to really hit home because, again, we got a lot of people uh, that are, they're so new to this. There's just so many people that are new to this, you know? So, well, it, you could go back and use Ethereum for an example. And, and the obvious thing, there's a meme that sums it up brilliantly, but basically it's the fact that they're trying to create what they call a Turing complete language just essentially means what they were trying to do is create an infinite attack vector because by making, making it able to the, the, the more programming capability they add, the greater the number of security holes that the software inherently has. And Bitcoin's inherently most valuable property is its immutability and its protection from manipulation. And so Ethereum was on the scene for all of a few months before, uh, wasn't it Perpescu who, who took all the, the ETH and, and basically did it using a smart contract that they called hacking, but he did it in, in code that was valid and code is law. So then they decided, well, we can't have this. So we just roll the whole thing back and prove themselves to be central banksters. And that's so many years ago. I don't know how anybody can take Ethereum seriously. I mean, that's a great question. I'm, I'm definitely not alone in my little Twitter verse that I've built, but it's hard to say if I'm in any kind of minority on that. I think that there's always financial incentives and everybody wants to think that, well, I missed the Bitcoin boat, but if I help program this next Ethereum programming language, I'll be the next Vitalik and I'll be this big ass billionaire instead of just stacking sats like a pleb. All right. So I don't want to, I don't want to, harbor on this too much but i do you you're using terms that maybe people don't understand and the turing test and you just correct me if i'm wrong i'll try to like consolidate it down turing test essentially is this idea that if you could make a computer where somebody couldn't like let's say you were chatting with 
someone online, but it actually ended up being a computer, right? You couldn't tell that it was a computer. It was so fully flushed out that you couldn't tell the difference between a human being and a computer on the other end, right? Absolutely. Okay. So when when Ethereum says it's going to what what's the term they use Turing what? Turing complete. Turing complete. So what they're trying to say there is that they're going to create a a system that is so complete that you literally couldn't tell if somebody was behind, like if there was a, it's kind of like a wizard of Oz, right? You, you can't tell that there's a man behind the curtain or not. That's how complete this software programming is. And what you were saying is, is the idea that if you do that, you introduce so many variables into the programming itself that it becomes attackable somewhere along all of those variables, right? Okay. Yes. And so the Turing complete, um, yeah, that, that is a, a simple, very simplified, overly simplified, but accurate description. Okay. Yes. The more, the more programming opportunities that you give, the more options that there are, the more attack vectors that can be abused or exploited. Excellent. Okay. I just want to clear that up because, you know, I didn't know what Turing tests were until like a year ago. So, Again, if somebody's new to the space, I'm trying to explain what I really want to focus in on is Ethereum is arguably the next biggest thing to Bitcoin in terms of people's interest in it. And just from that factor alone, like I just want to introduce these factors, why these other things really are shit coins. You know what I mean? That's that's kind of what I'm trying to work on here from a very layman's standpoint. So they got a heck of a marketing team. You know, so does communism. Like they can make stuff. Sound, like, I'm just saying the slogans can make stuff sound really good if you don't think about it too deep. Right. Man, that's really, man, that's, that's good. I like that. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. Ethereum and socialism, the best marketing teams on the planet. <laughs> well, maybe that's an interesting segue then to like the World Economic Forum stuff because I don't think the IMF exists anymore. Didn't they call themselves something different? Oh, yeah. I've never heard that. Uh, I thought um, I, I, I could be wrong. The, I could be wrong. Yeah, the WEF was founded in 1971 by um, Klaus Schwab, who, who is a descendant of uh, a Rothschild. Yep. Um, no, it is. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's confirmed. So. Yeah. And so I, in, at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, I was fortunate enough to follow some rational thinkers um, on YouTube before I had found Twitter, and in particular, Dr. Chris Martinson over at Peak Prosperity, who was uh, analyzing a lot of the data that was coming out, uh, the COVID data, and in particular, he was coming at it from an economic perspective. Peak Prosperity was focused on economics, and he, as an ex-neuroscientist, had moved his focus to economics, but he was speaking up on the coming supply chain disruptions that he foresaw uh, on the economic side 
But just as a rational thinker, he kept seeing these discrepancies between the data and the narrative. And, and it kind of, with he started doing these daily updates and it just became obvious um, early last year that the entire mainstream narrative has been a lie. And so very early into the pandemic, Klaus Schwab released a book called COVID-19, The Great Reset. And I started hearing all kinds of things about it where this is a, a plan to institute um, a global techno-communism. And it's, I mean, it sounded some pretty conspiracy tinfoil hat wear and stuff. And so I thought I, I got to buy this book and see if it's uh, as bad as, as it said. And I actually hate to admit that I actually paid for it just for the convenience of reading it on my Kindle. But um, I couldn't finish because it literally, it is slick sounding communism they make it sound it's very utopian and if you're willing to think wide and shallow it sounds appealing at its at, on, on first inspection but when you realize where communism has gotten us before and you realize um that it's the the things that he's describing just don't end well for most people you know, you will own nothing. You will be happy. That's the plan. And, and it's there in, in plain writing. And so I think that the World Economic Forum is literally using COVID-19 to push this great reset. They literally wrote a book about it. It's all in, in the public. Um, and it, it falls directly in line with like what the IMF has done for many years. Um, Confessions of an Economic Hitman describes the process by which they would essentially bust the, the banks of, of poorer nations and force them to sell their valuable resources to international banksters at, at below cost. Um, and, and it's all just part of the plan to make rich people richer and poor people poorer. And essentially, it's all a proof of stake system. And that's why Ethereum is especially garbage because it just takes that same system and perpetuates it forward into uh, the digital cryptocurrency quote unquote world where Bitcoin has carved out a niche that is free of the manipulations of proof of stake uh, stakeholders. Jeff, Jeff, I am so glad you got this guy on the show. Honest to God. You're a good booker. You're a good booker. And I'm going to send you a cookie for this because I this is literally what I was writing about in that article for Citadel 21. Like, literally, this is what I said. It's the same system. It's just got a different veneer on it, essentially. And you can't because my whole argument in that article was you can't beat the system by using the system. It's designed to perpetuate itself. So I'm, I'm with you, man. And I'll go one step further, dude. They weren't, he didn't just write a book. It was on their website. There was a video. I saw it. And it did say, you will, you will own nothing and you will be happy. You will rent everything. Now think about this for a second. The first statement of their, their they had like 10 points, right? There was like a 10 point thing. It's called, uh, <clears throat> I think it's called the 2030 project, right? There's like 10 points. And the first one is you will own nothing. Okay. Well, that's ridiculous because obviously there's still going to be things and someone will own them so it's oxymoronic just just a, just from a semantic standpoint but then the next one is you will rent everything and love it right and who the who am i renting from then if no one owns anything who am i renting my shit from it's crazy to me so 
uh yeah man just keep riffing because i'm i mean ladies and gentlemen put on your tinfoil hats but don't really put on put on your fucking football helmets because it's about to get rough here let's do it yeah i believe it was agenda 2030 that that you were referring okay, yeah. to and uh, yeah and as far as the great reset i want to give a shout out to george gammon who's got a great youtube uh teardown of the great reset and um again he sort of exposes the sweet sounding slogans of the communism for what they really are as an insidious anti-human attempt to take over and consolidate the wealth even further in the hands of the few and turn the majority of people into cattle who own nothing so wait say say that guy's name again because you and i you and i got onto this through different people so who was your guy George Gammon. George Gammon, okay. G-A-M-M-O-N, yeah, he's great. He's got a, um, a rebel capitalist channel, and he does these uh, whiteboard videos that are fantastic. And so he did one at the beginning of COVID about the supply chain disruptions, which was kind of what led me to Chris Martinson over at Peak Prosperity for the daily updates, which kind of led me down the rabbit hole of how they're lying about all the data and using it to institute lockdowns and they're denying people vitamin D. They just made vitamin D prescription only in South Is Africa. Is that what that I saw that? that this morning. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, they did. Yeah. I actually interacted. Did you see that post? The the guy who was complaining about it? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I and I've asked him where it was from. It's South Africa. And meanwhile, I'm in Canada where the majority of the people are vitamin D deficient. Mm -hmm. The evidence has been clear since at least March of last year that for pennies per person, we can both reduce the number of, of deaths and, and serious illnesses. We can reduce the load on the ICU systems. And for the addition of a little bit of zinc and selenium, we could reduce. And, and now with more modern data, we've got hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, fluvoxin, Famotidine. There's all these um, prophylactic drugs that are cheap, safe, effective. Some of them are over the counter. They have decades of safety data. And we have not only ignored all that, but we've made attempts to suppress that. I shouldn't say we, you know, the system has made attempts, the technocracy, the Facebook and Twitter fact checkers are being paid overtime to suppress real information by credentialed doctors doing rational, neutral analysis of the data. And and that has kind of led me further and further down the rabbit hole to um, to basically see that the modern world is is completely composed of lies. The whole thing. I saw a great a great tweet that just to, to summarize it, it said the world makes a lot more sense when you realize that it's human farmers breeding human cattle. Whoa, dude. <clears throat> Yeah. 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 Well, the, the vitamin D thing, I want to hit on that for a second because I was fortunate enough. I have a, I have a nurse mother who has been a nurse for 40 years and about, I want to say six, seven years ago, she started beating this drum and you know, you guys know how moms are, right? Like moms say stuff and you're like, okay, mom, well, yeah. All right, fine. You know, I just want to enjoy my Thanksgiving dinner or whatever. But she really started to beat down on this vitamin D thing. And she's like, Doug, I am reading some reports on vitamin D. And this is well before any of the stuff you're talking about, right, really kind of comes into play. 
But even even five, six years ago, she's like, it has direct links to mental health. Vitamin D has direct links to because uh, one of the things that she started off with was um, uh, osteoporosis. That was her kind of like her. She she was an ER nurse for a long time and she sort of she graduated into becoming sort of an osteoporosis expert and like she would do testing for older people and help them figure out a plan to mitigate bone loss because everybody has bone loss right over time <clears throat> and so what she was saying was like vitamin d has been linked to like um like reducing osteoporosis because it helps your body process calcium better and like so vitamin d and and i just i just want to I really want to hit this for a second because it, it makes a lot of sense, not even from a conspiratorial standpoint, but if you just think about it, you get vitamin D from the sun. Okay. It's, it's the single biggest thing that a developing race of humans would have access to, right? At nighttime, we huddle up in our caves as cavemen or whatever. And in the daytime, we're out in the sun. So it's obviously, obviously we're going to develop ways to process this particular vitamin the best and and we develop it through the sun we can anyways and most of us don't and so i guess what i'm trying to say is kids go out and buy yourself some vitamin d if you've got if you've got sleep issues if you have and again not medical advice but honestly you can't hurt yourself with it so go ahead try it you know consult with a doctor if you have to that's fine i'll cover my own ass whatever but and i have noticed since i finally you know, okay mom i'll do it i'll do it fine right my attitude is better i'm less angry because i'm i'm a pretty angry guy generally i'm less angry you know i'm less prone to being angry you know i'm easy it's easier for me to put stuff aside as opposed to harboring on it um i've noticed and this is kind of weird like uh, for for a while, maybe about two years ago, I was really worried about my family all the time. Like I would just have these weird visions of like horrible things happening to my family. And this is anecdotal. This is not a medical thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to say it is, but I would notice that if I took vitamin D, those episodes would kind of like stop happening. And if, if, if I stopped taking it, then all of a sudden I would have these weird, like fantastical daydreams of like, you know, my family being kidnapped by gunpoint or, you know, whatever it was like vitamin D is ridiculously good. And I will say as someone who had COVID, um, the first thing I did is I ran to the medicine cabinet. I just started down in vitamin D and it, it, you know, as an overweight guy who probably should have been hit pretty hard by it. I got off with, you know, five days of being really tired and I couldn't smell for like three weeks. Okay. You know, so I just, I just wanted to tout vitamin D mostly because I wanted to respect my mother. That was it. That's all it came down to. Whatever. Sounds like your mom's hella base. Oh, she, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, I'll take it even further because the vitamin D is, is more than just a vitamin. It's actually a full on hormone. And so there's a Harvard study that says anybody who lives north in San Francisco or north thereof is basically deficient in vitamin D. And so I did find it, I will call it out as criminal negligence, if not deliberate eugenics on the part of not giving out these essential life-saving and nearly free medicines in the way that India did early on in the pandemic. Did they? Um, 
Absolutely. They gave out vitamin C, vitamin D, and ivermectin. No shit. Well, there was what there was what they called the Zelenko protocol. I don't know. Are you familiar with that, Diligent? Not okay, by that so name. Zelenko is a he's yeah. a doctor. I believe he's a doctor out of New York. I could be wrong about that. He came up with an early treatment for COVID. Uh, he's on record as saving like I don't know tens of thousands essentially. And saving is a loose term because obviously some people are going to be more affected than others or whatever. But his protocol essentially it was a uh, it was a cocktail of, I want. It was definitely zinc and vitamin D, and then one other, one other thing, I believe. And he, he, I mean, this stuff is. Was it selenium? Might have been. I, 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 I have to admit, the one I remember early on with zinc, selenium, and vitamin D is the protocol that Dr. Chris Martin. Okay, was, okay, uh, and I know that zinc is kind of that key factor, and zinc has been known for a long time. Uh, and I just, I'm going to say it again. This is not medical advice. Please don't run to your medicine cabinet and start downing whatever we're talking about. Go talk to your fucking doctor. Okay. We're not doctors here. We're just repeating what we've heard. All right. Um, but he zinc, I, I, from what I understand, it has a really good effect in terms of, um, creating a, a scenario in the cell where you can, get other things into the cell easier like a vitamin d that sort of so it sort of opens up to to better processing i would say so zinc vitamin d and some other some other factor that he put in there and he was like i said he was on record for treating tens of thousands of not hundreds of thousands of people um so <clears throat> so the idea that south africa has now made it a scheduled, essentially, drug. Think about what that means for a minute. What are scheduled drugs? When we talk about scheduled drugs in the States, and I'm not exactly sure how South America works, but scheduled drugs are something you cannot get unless a doctor prescribes it. That is ridiculous. It's literally from the sun, people. Like, that is... that. Well, you can't, but but like Diligent's saying, in some because of the way, and this is now we're getting to physics, right? The way the sun hits some of the planet, you don't get direct sunlight as as efficiently, you know. So, like in Canada, you guys are well above, you know, where even if you like, so like Seattle or or yeah, let's take Seattle, right? Like the whole north northwest coast, or <clears throat> yeah, right. Lots of. The Harvard study drew the line at 37 degrees, which is basically Northern California. Yeah. Well, and Seattle's doubly bad because like one third of their entire entire year is cloud cover, I think. They have one of the highest suicide. And, and here you go. They have one of the highest suicide rates in the world. You know? So... And as you start getting further north, you know, and you start getting into Canadian winters, it's like there's not many people who work outside or get a lot of sun exposure. You're all right. bundled up even right. if you do. You just don't get a lot of sun on skin contact. Um, so I will say that in addition to the pills, uh, I, I found some vitamin D pills in the cabinet. They're great, whatever. I eat them. Uh, but I found the tincture. I found that a liquid tincture of vitamin D. And the first time that I dosed it, I will swear to God, it felt like an LSD experience. Like my mind was sharp no and shit. clear. And it was 
it was very, very obvious that I was deficient and I was plugging that deficiency. And so I felt that the first time only. And now that I take it every day, I never feel that anymore. But it was very obvious that there is a physiological change happening the first time that I took the liquid D vitamin D tincture. All right. Now, now I have a new goal. Now that's what I'm going to be doing. So, Jeff, have you heard of any of this stuff before? Is this is this new ground to you? Because you've been really quiet. So, thanks, Mom. I said, thanks, mom. She was right. I heard about the link between sunscreen and cancer, like probably, you know, 20, 30 years ago or something. And, and I just kind of figured that it was one of those things where damned if you do, damned if you don't. I didn't realize. Oh, man, did I lose no, you guys? No, we're here. We're here. Go ahead. Oh, there's another tech issue here. Well, I just I, I didn't realize um, there's so much data that indicates that even in people who get skin cancer, they actually live longer than the average person. So there's something about the sun and health that even any detrimental effects it's giving you are dwarfed by the beneficial effects that it's giving you. And so that pretty much sold me right there that the sunscreen is, is bullshit. And then Nick Carter that you brought up, he, he makes an interesting point about the seed oils. And I do wonder, I'm hearing a lot of people talk about how they just don't burn as much if they eat animal fats. And when they don't eat those seed oils, they don't burn in the sun the way they used to. And I'm reminded of just the way that the science, the consensus, quote unquote, science changes over the years, because in in my early elementary school, I remember a health, a health teacher talking about how, you know, grandma told him to fry the the eggs in the bacon fat and he, he shuddered and shook his head and he's like, but now these days we know that you should pour that out and, and eat margarine. Oh my instead. God. And now like, I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself here. I'm pretty old. So like now we know that that was bullshit and grandma was right all yep. along. Yeah. If you start to, yeah. If you start to look at all of this stuff, like, like when you're talking, I'm just thinking about like uh, prohibition, right? Here's what most people don't know about pro. Well, I'm not that What's old. that? Well, I'm not that old. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, no, but, but prohibition, here's what people don't really understand. Prohibition against alcohol in the United States, it had nothing to do with the, uh, the negative effects of alcohol, right? What it was, it was the oil companies because back then you could theoretically process grain alcohol enough to run an automobile and 
so the oil companies kind of got together and there was also obviously there was also a teetotaler movement at the time and they so they kind of glommed on to that they're like okay so we sort of have this like underground not underground but like very fringe social movement to like stop people from drinking right because drinking leads to promiscuous behavior and dancing oh no so um so they basically the the auto the uh, oil industries were like we don't want competition for the automobile we don't want somebody to be able to put home like bathtub gin into their automobile which at the time you could because that was how that was how crude the the vehicles were they didn't need you know like the most pure oil-based gasoline you couldn't do that today but back then you know you could make some bathtub gin and if you made it a little bit strong you could put it into your car and it would operate and the oil companies got together and like we can't have this competition so you know Prohibition was basically because of the oil companies. And I'm only bringing that up because you start to look at the world like through that kind of a lens. And really what you have to do, and we've talked about this before, is qui bono. Who benefits from this particular stance on something? You know? And so right now, who is benefiting from a scheduled vitamin D? Answer? Pfizer that made like 35 billion in fucking money last year when all the rest of the world was shut down right and nobody was making money except for Amazon Walmart big corporations Pfizer was making a ton of money just ask yourself guys who's making money when when the experts come out and say this is bad for you or you shouldn't do this sunscreen is good for you who's actually benefiting just ask yourself that question. Start putting your whole life through that lens, and really, and and, and I know people don't want to do this because, ah, oh, shit, that's so much work, man. Like to know these things, that's hard. Yeah. You're suffering? You're the bad guy right now? Well, all right. Well, these are big boy problems for yeah, sure. Like, yeah. you know, there's work that needs to be done, right? Well, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not done with that question. I wanted to let Diligent answer it. Yeah. No, I think, uh, I think the world is on fire. I think it's, I think it's more on fire than it's ever been. Like th that's always been my, <sighs> all right. So I'm 44 years old. I don't know where you're at Diligent, but my perspective as i've gotten older is i never wanted to be one of those old guys like 
ah, back in my day. Ah. Like, that's not what I want to be, right? I never want to see things through a lens that is specific to only me, right? Oh, my experience has never been like this. So obviously this is the worst it's ever been. But you start to look at history and you start to realize there has never, ever been even during the days of actual polio when they invented a vaccine they didn't have to push as hard for a disease that literally crippled people it crippled a president for god's sake right they didn't have to push as hard to get people to take this this vaccine right quote unquote vaccine i'm not going to call i don't want to call it a vaccine it's not a vaccine it's an experimental procedure and and so now you look at it you go why why is everything this is the biggest juggernaut of media and politicians and social influencers and the whole nine yards this has never been like this so you start to look at these things and you go the world kind of is really on fire it really is but i have to admit i don't feel it i how do i put this I know things are bad. I know things can get worse even. And I, I, exp I expect them to get worse. But I have a lot of hope right now. I really do. I, I, I think, like Diligence talked about before, I think just being on Bitcoin Twitter has made me feel less alone. It's made me feel like there are people who are getting it. They're understanding it. In, and the fun part is... These people are getting it outside of me. It's not me going out to every part of Bitcoin Twitter and trying to convince people. These are people that are saying what I kind of instinctually have discovered or felt, you know, and that's why it's good. And and I don't feel hopeless, right? Like I know if shit really hits the fan, I got, I got friends. I got people that I can really, you know, kind of, even if I don't know them, I know that they get it and we can work together, you know? So I don't know, man, shit's on fire, but I feel like Bitcoin is kind of like this big ass fire hose, just ready to spray everything down. So. Right on. Well, if I can tie some of those threads back together, a few things that you mentioned like prohibition and, and how that was essentially a proof of stake system. That was he who has the gold makes the rules, or in this case, he who has the oil money makes the rules and changes the rules in, always in favor of himself making more money, you know, to the detriment of everybody else. And this is, again, where Bitcoin fixes this. This is the first time ever we've had an opportunity to do something different, something that is not manipulated by the central authority, something that is not proof of stake, which is why I keep coming back to beating that drum, that proof of stake is what we want to get rid of. Proof of stake is what is wrong with the world. And proof of work is what is here to change that. That's a hundred percent. That that oh my god, dude. Jeff, man, I swear to God, I'm gonna send you sats for this episode. Honest to God. No, you're the booker. No, listen, listen. I'm the editor. You're the booker. This is how it works. You find good people to talk to, like diligent. I edit it later down. Okay. So
That's funny, uh, and, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ask my next question too, Ray, as a because I, I wrote this down earlier and I wanted to ask him what is the biggest fud that we need to defeat? Because I I'm with you. I think that I think we do have a fight ahead of us. So, hey, great questions and 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 even great way to merge those together because I think the biggest fight we have right now is the ESG communism. I think that's the fud, and it's all about. It's all about enslaving humanity in more of this proof of stake manipulation by central authorities type of, of systems that we've had forever. And now the narrative is that, you know, you are the problem. You are the carbon that needs to be controlled. And so you need to be taxed. And and I think that right there is anti-human and I think it's the standard communist agenda that comes all back to that WEF and Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset. And I think that communism is is the biggest fight. And I see guys online like Marty Bent and Steve Barber, and these guys are really fighting that fight. And I think that we need to get behind these guys. We need to be fighting even, even as much as I like Michael Saylor, him saying that ESG is just a box to be chicked to be ticked is is the most disingenuous thing i've ever heard well i don't know if it's disingenuous so much as it's misguided like that is i'm with you on i mean i really am with you it's just i think that he doesn't well, he's smart enough to know what he's doing he's smart enough you to think to so really it's not it doesn't it's not just a box to be ticked you know once Yeah, but he also says stuff like the Bitcoin will never rival the dollar. Like he says stuff like that, you know. Exactly. And it's it, and yeah, it's yeah. He's got some great content. Like that Sailor series, hundred percent, man. That was awesome. As much as it was, you know, got a roast breed rug for hosting it. Uh, <laughs> breed rug. Yeah, it's content and and Sailor knows his stuff and he's a fantastic ally to have but when it comes to the esg thing i think he's the enemy and we need to fight that esg communism and we need to stand up for individuals uh, and sovereign human rights and that esg is the opposite of that esg is saying that you need to accept that you might be the consequence of of uh as let, let's say um resource consumption reduction and that if that means that you got to go, that's just taking one for the team. And and that same thing goes along with if your kid is the one who gets the myocarditis in order that my grandma gets to live an extra two years in the, in the care home, then you better take that for the team. And I just think that this is the fight. This is the FUD. This is what we need to get our backs up against. I do. I would agree with that. I, I think that, and again, this goes back to the, were things always this bad? I do feel a sense, and I was talking to a friend of mine today where I feel like things are ramping up to a pitched fever almost. Um, you're starting to get this notion, and you're seeing it more and more, where we'll call them the normie plebs, right? They're starting to get indignant about people who don't want to get the experimental procedure, you know? Um, I've seen calls to violence. I've seen calls to, oh shit, Don Lemon, right? CNN. He's talking about if you don't get the vaccination, 
you should not be able to do trade. You should not be able to buy groceries. You should not be able to, to be in the public, essentially. You should be this weird leper that has to hide in caves and, you know, I don't know, wrap yourself in, in burlap or something. I don't know, whatever his, his issue is. But it's like, that that is weird because people that are vaccinated kids, they're getting covid still like it's not even doing what it's purported to do so this uh, this weird othering i guess to use a, a term i don't particularly like using it, it, it's happening it's it and it's deliberate. And it's, it is it's it's clearly deliberate you know the the language that they use uh to and it's never and again it's never been done before we've never said at least in this country right in, in the united states We've never said you, uh, okay, so before all of this, let's say, there were people who were anti-vax. And, and for the record, I am not strictly anti-vax. I am anti-experimental procedure. I'm just not a fan. I don't want to be part of that, that group, okay? Um, so, but there were people prior to, the, uh, great examples, Jim Carrey, you know, Canada's son, right? Beloved in the United States and around the world. He he was anti-vax. He he dated uh, what's her face, Jenny McCarthy, and they were on that train for a long time. Nobody said you should never work again. Nobody ever said you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't be allowed to buy groceries, you know. But now all of a sudden, if you're quote unquote anti-vax again, anti-experimental procedure, then you shouldn't be allowed to live. That's never happened in this country in two hundred and fifty plus years. And it's, it really is, a, it should be alarming to everybody. It really should. You know, everyone should have a choice. If you think that you are uh, more benefited by this procedure than others, than not, then go ahead, go for it. But why should, why should anybody else suffer because of your, I don't know, perceptions, feelings? I, I don't know, somebody else take the helm on this one because... If I can repeat that earlier tweet, the world makes a lot more sense when you recognize it as human farmers breeding human cattle. And so right now I'm looking at the 10 stages of genocide that's been floating around yeah, lately. And step one is dividing us into us and them. You know, it's that otherizing that you just talked about. And, you know, step two is the symbolization of people being forced to identify themselves and the vaccine passports, discrimination. People are beginning to face systematic discrimination, like you won't be able to be employed if you don't. Like you just go down the line and we're on that train towards another gulag archipelago, like Solzhenitsyn yep. style. And most people are just so painfully unaware of history that they hear the same exact slogans of like diversity, inclusion and equity and think, well, those sound good. Again, it's that broad but shallow. It sounds great on the surface. When you start looking at how that actually works, it's like, oh, well, you actually can't have advanced math anymore because that's racist. Right. Good Lord. Well, and then how are those how are those poor kids supposed to ever understand Bitcoin? You know what I mean? Bitcoin is just math. And it's like if you can't even agree on the definition of what two plus two is, because for some I don't know, weird reason, you think it's whatever the person says it is, then you can Oh my God. Diligent, you're taking us down so many rabbit holes right now, my brain is hurting. Honest to God. <laughs>
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Bitcoin is the proof of work that is here to um, offer us the opportunity to opt out of the previous proof of stake system. I mean, that's it's kind of what it is. <laughs> no. Mm. I, I feel like if anyone's listening to this right now and they're new to the topics, their, their brain is probably going a million miles an hour. And you know what? Uh, you sh- it should be. Uh, I, 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 I don't apologize for anything that was said on this podcast. And uh, I stand by pretty much every word of it. I, um, I think there's a... Well, let me hit you with one last, one last red pill. Because this, this has been my favorite red pill lately. It's just another example of, and, and it's it's useful on the ESG front, all right? Can, this wait, can you pause one second? To- uh, I just, again, for the, for sure. the audience at home, can you explain ESG real fast in a nutshell? Sure. Environmental social justice governance. And so essentially it means uh, letting the politically correct social justice warriors set policy. So it's so and so, so if you if let's say <clears throat> let's pretend that someone is kind of on the fence and they, they don't want the buzzword of social justice warrior. Let's just say I don't have a problem with it just for the record. But what we're talking about is this idea that everything must be done through a certain lens. OK, it takes away the autonomy of the individual and it replaces it with this idea that everything must be done through the lens of is it good for the environment and does it promote the most social justice for somebody, right? That is how this is defined. That is how your actions will be defined as an individual, as a company, as a, as a political body, let's say. You will have to do everything through this lens and you don't get a say, essentially. What happens is there is some committee it's not even a committee like who who does this right like help me out here diligent who who makes these rules because they seem to shift all over the like i i am old enough and i know based on your your, you remember the ozone layer right um oh absolutely the ozone layer when i was a kid was it was the issue of the times right like every spray can of aquanet was one one can closer to armageddon you know what i mean like we were going to destroy the the ozone and then all the sun's rays would just beat down on us until literally little children would be riding their tricycles and then burst into flames that's what that was that was the ozone crisis of like the late 80s slash late early 90s kind of a thing and and now the ozone kind of heals itself we didn't realize that sorry about that but Whoever is making these decisions with the ESG, they, I, I, they, they seem to be completely unaccountable. Another, another one, another one of my favorite ESG moments before it was ESG. Do you remember the big push, diligent, to go from paper bags to plastic bags? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Save yep. the planet. Got to save the planet. You know, no more of these paper bags. You can cut down those trees. That's bad for you. Now, what do we got? We got landfills absolutely filled with plastic bags that don't decompose for a hundred years and what have we found paper guess what we can plant more trees we can make more paper we can't get rid of the plastic but the paper bags 
put a paper bag out in one rainstorm. See what happens to it. It's gone. It disappears. You know, like, oh, my God, dude. Who makes these decisions? Who does this? Who is in charge? Oh, my God, dude. 100%. Dude, back in the day, yeah. every bag you got from a grocery store was paper bags. 100%. Yeah, and they told us it was bad for the planet, and we yep. should use plastic it was a instead. It got so bad that you actually, for a while, and and before everyone just switched over, what they would do is they would charge you for paper bags if you requested them. You know, even though you could take a paper bag and you could do lots of stuff with it, like okay, here you go, diligent. I'm going to really date you. Do you remember getting paper bags from the grocery store, and then you would get your school books, and what would you do with them? Make you would make drawn. a cover for your school book so they wouldn't get damaged. I mean, like, we used to reuse them. We They used to be useful. Could you cover a school book in a plastic bag? No. But, but it was bad for the environment to cut down all those trees. So... Yeah, and, and at first it seems like, you know, maybe they were making mistakes. Like I heard a lot about the late 70s and we were all on our way to um, yep. an ice age. And and then all of a sudden it's the ozone. And then a few years after that, it's global warming. And Al Gore said we were all going to be underwater already. And, and then the narrative just doesn't hold up. And so this comes back to the last red pill I want to throw out, which is Ben Davidson over at Suspicious Observer on YouTube. And somebody turned me on to this channel like at least eight years ago, probably. And I didn't get it. Like I was trying to watch and I honestly, I didn't get it. It's very technical. He spends a lot of time reviewing climate studies. He spends a lot of time attacking the climate narrative. And the more that you follow, the more you realize that not only is this whole thing nonsense, but it's a deliberate cover up. And it goes back to uh, the CIA and there's a fantastic documentary there literally called, uh, oh my God, I'm gapping on it, but yeah, CIA cosmic cover up or something like that. And it's basically about the fact that the elites have known that there's a coming climate catastrophe on a 12,000 year galactic cycle. And that that period is coming up soon. We're due for that. We're seeing the earth's magnetic field drop off at unprecedented mm -hmm. rates. It's collapsed first by 5% in 100 years and then 5% in 10 years and now at even greater rates since then we haven't seen the data for but we're losing our magnetic field the poles they're are flipping moving, right it looks the, like the, the pole flip is that what you're talking about the pole will flip and what most people don't get is that the crust itself will flip and polar areas will become tropical and vice versa there's a, a movement of rotation of 23 degrees yep. that happens and it happens on a cyclical like clockwork on these 12,000 year cycles and so this uh all of this is sort of contributing to the fact that there's massive forces at play there's there's climate forces here on earth we haven't had a good volcano burp in close to 800 years so we're in we're coming out of a period of like 400 years, especially of very uh, warm, calm and, and perfect basically conditions. And these are unusually perfect conditions for Earth's history. And as we come out of the end of that period of stability, naturally the weather is changing and 
the science is being deliberately manipulated. Again, once you look into it, you'll see it's very obvious that it's it's properly understood and it's being deliberately misapplied to convince you that you are the problem and that you need to pay a carbon tax and that maybe you just shouldn't exist at all because there's too many people. <laughs> and the whole thing is anti-human and, it, and it, it all ties back together with Bitcoin and seizing back your own sovereignty. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, that's always the biggest thing for me when, when we talk about carbon taxes, you know, and Elon Musk has made a, a fortune off of selling off carbon tax credits and stuff like that. But it's like, how how does me paying more taxes solve the carbon crisis? So I want to have a barbecue, but now I got to pay 20 bucks, let's say, to the government. I've still had the barbecue. Well, it hasn't changed anything. Actually, and there is no carbon. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I'm just like, you know, I agree. I agree. But yeah, it's just, yeah, it's. It, and that's when you, if, this is what Marty Ben says. Once you accept their framing, you know, you've exactly. already lost. So we have to refute that right at the core. We have to say that right from, from the core. It's like the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere is not the problem for the coming climate catastrophe, which isn't to say that there isn't a coming climate catastrophe, just that it's not caused by humans and it's not caused by our CO2, which also doesn't mean we don't have any effect on the environment. Oh, no. Listen, I, I want to be very clear. I think pollution is awful. I, I have no... I have there's no quarter for people right. for corporations or people you know that people that pour their their uh, bad oil into their lawns or something fuck you that's not a good idea that's bad right and and corporations that dump you know toxicity into you know nearby water outlets fuck you too i, I no quarter for you you know string string those fucking guys up by their thumbs right i this is not about pollution per se. Pollution is a very real thing that I actively rail against. I'm not a fan, but the idea that, Absolutely. you know, somehow me having a barbecue or inviting friends over and having a bonfire that somehow I'm the problem with something that is controlled by, as you've said, the natural fluctuations in the planet. And, and let's be really clear here. Humans have only occupied this space for a, infinitesimal slice of the entire planet right the, the planet has gone on without us quite fine with with ebbs and flows of cold and hot and i mean shit what was it 1500s 1600s the thames river froze you know like they were literally ice skating on the thames river in in britain so there are huge fluctuations that have occurred over time even with us here, but even without us here, you're talking about the idea of like, think about the dinosaurs. Think about how, you know, how we believe how hot it was back then. You know, it's like this idea that somehow, and, and that's just this planet. Let's not even think about the sun that does its own thing, you know, with solar flares and, and ebbs and flows of the sun. And it, it's like, there are so many facets to this that are, monumental and we somehow think that because we were what running cars for the last hundred years that we're gonna end this whole thing come on come on uh, to quote Absolutely. a famous uh president come on man really you know yeah and you you made a great point about you know there's there's geological forces here greater than humans then we've got the influence of the sun and then the point that uh, Ben Davidson at Suspicious Observer makes is that there's actually a galactic influence on the sun. 
So just as the sun influences the earth, the galaxy influenced the sun on a regular repeating 12,000 year schedule that we are due to see coming up soon. So watch the sun, pay attention to the space weather news and, uh, you know, prepare. Let me, I, I want to, I want to say something that I saw today on Twitter and then I want to hear Dylan's response to it. Cause what you just said, Jeff, is that there's going to be people listening. And I agree. There's going to be people listening who are like, who the fuck are these tin hat motherfuckers, right? They're going to be absolutely like, they're, they're ready to reach. Like they, they're, they're listening right now and they're like, I just want to see how far they go. Right. And so there's, st we still got them. So here's what I want to say. I saw this today on Twitter. Barack Obama, love him or hate him, don't care. I really don't. But we can all agree he's an elitist, right? He's he's of the elite, right? So the elite has been telling us that COVID's going to kill us and that close behind is going to be global warming. He is going to be holding his 60th birthday party. And you guys can look this up. He's going to be holding his 60th birthday party. He's going to have 500 guests. And he's going to have over 200 staff might, you know, manning this whole operation. So he's going to have 700 people visiting him on his, wait for it, his island mansion, right, to celebrate his 60th birthday. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they're going to be vaxxed and wearing masks, right? And But they're going to be on an island that he bought recently, right? He bought his property recently. So he's on an island, which we've all been told is going to be underwater. And he's going to be celebrating his 60th birthday with 500 of his closest friends and 200 of his closest servants. And, and we're supposed to believe that somehow both of these things are the most important things of our time. But what? Cut. Yeah, follow, follow the money. And, and are these rich people selling their beachfront property and, and building on mountaintops? You just don't see it. And so the book Freakonomics was, was a brilliant. Oh, yes, my dude. Yes. Thank you. How insidious those financial incentives can be at influencing human behavior in all sorts of subtle ways. Freakonomics is an amazing book, ladies and gentlemen. Seriously, this is this is good shit.
And absolutely, those subtle financial incentives can influence people to spin a narrative that may not be entirely true for their own financial benefit. And we see that in just about every industry that we look from the CO2 carbon uh, narrative to the Corona lockdown vaccine narrative. None of the data ever matches the, to this, the Bitcoin central banking fiat inflation you know, they just print money like forever and act like it's not a problem. Like everywhere you look, the so-called experts are lying to you. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> you said this so simply and it's, it's so accurate. And it, but at the same time, you want to like, you want to, I don't know, man, you want to caveat it so that people will listen to you because they won't, they'll, they'll hear that sentence. Everything that the elites have told you is a lie. And they will just reject it out of hand. They just, and, and that is pure fiat thinking in my view. <laughs> Fantastic. There you, go. there you go. And I'd also throw it back to like the toxic, to the toxicity and, and the, and the maximalism. But I found that a lot of my personal growth happened as a response to toxicity. And I may not have appreciated that. Say that time, again. You cut out. It was people. Yeah, you cut out. Say that again. A lot of my personal growth happened in response to other people's toxicity. And so it was them standing by their maximalism in, in various areas of life, but even before discovering the true Bitcoin maximalism. But when people are willing to be toxic, it, it means they believe what they're in what they're saying. And they're, they're not afraid to hurt your feelings if it means... Uh, that's what it takes to get the truth out there. What? Alex Jones was <laughs> shit. We just right demonetized. God damn. I'm kidding. We weren't monet. You don't know who Alex Jones is? I, I mean, I you know what? Alex I'm Jones gonna like just I'm just gonna X Jeff out of this. Con he can't talk anymore. I'm gonna X him out of the conversation. You don't know who Alex fucking Jones is, dude. He's the big guy with the he turning the frogs gay. You know? I mean, he is now. Yeah. So. It's been, it's been an interesting evolution watching him because, you know, he started off as this extremely angry anti-globalist and he was reporting on the news and everything he ever reported was true. But you also watched over 20 years of him sort of chasing the financial incentives. You could see it affecting the way that he became and he eventually went to court and called himself yep, an entertainer. Yep, yep. It's like, OK. So you completely sold out, but you could see it happen slowly. Like it wasn't like day one, he, you know, he was legit. And then all of a sudden one day he's a sellout. It's like, it just happens slowly, but he started out incredibly angry. And, and I mean, that was kind of his gimmick. He, I think he sort of sold on that gimmick for the entire time, but it started out as genuine anger with the, and frustration at this system and a desire to wake people up. Well, no, the thing, the thing about the, the thing about Alex Jones was that he, he was the canary in the coal mine. He was the first, 
of anybody who had 100%. a counter counter response to the narrative, whatever the narrative was of the day, uh, he was that guy, you know, and he did. He did say a lot of things that were, I mean, I don't want to sit here and defend Alex Jones necessarily, you know, um, from the standpoint of I do believe he was truthful when he said I am an entertainer. I think he took things to the nth degree because and because you right. know why I know I say that because I do that sometimes. I'll get more ramped up than I actually am just because I think it will sound a little better or or whatever. Like and that doesn't mean I don't I I am not personally passionate about whatever I'm talking about. It's just I think saying things in a in a bigger uh, I go back to cuz I was I was a theater nerd in high school, right? And the idea of you have to say things in theater when when you're on a stage, you say things bigger and louder and your, your facial expressions are larger because you're trying to reach the people in the back row, you know? And I think Alex Jones was right. very much always that guy. He was trying to be bigger and louder yeah. and to reach the people in the back yes. row. So I, I and, yeah. and I, and like I said, I'm kind of the same way in that it's not that I don't believe what I'm saying. I will, I have never in all of the episodes we've done on this podcast, I have never said something I don't believe a hundred percent. Do I, when I call when I call Warren Buffett an idiot statist cuck, do I actually think he's like sitting around and letting some capitalist fuck his wife? No, of course not, right? Like he's not actually a cuck. He's still a dickhead and I don't like him, but I, I will take it to an nth degree to sort of, you know, be dramatic about it and to reach those guys in the back row. That's the job, right? So I get that Alex Jones was sort of that guy, but here's the thing. Alex Jones became very successful being that guy. Right. And what yes. happened was they deplatformed him across the board. Jeff, you would love to, you need to read about Alex Jones. He was one of the first people that got kicked off of Twitter. He was one of the first people that was yes, deplatformed that across the board. And not only that, here's the big thing. He's not just some crackpot that they, they just like, you can't just use our platform. Through it. They went after him with PayPal. They went after him with MasterCard and Visa. He literally could not take donations from any of their platforms. He was completely deplatformed. He couldn't make a living. Yeah. I love that you you called him the canary in the coal mine because I um, you know, he he was on the extreme end of making these claims that people are quick to dismiss as conspiracy theories. He said some things that have been wrong. And then he, so when he got first, you know, demonetized. He got unpersoned is what he got. That's right. And he was the first one. And you're right to call him the canary in the coal mine because here we are barely, what, not even two right. years later. And at this point now we've got guys like Brett Weinstein getting demonetized while he's holding perfectly rational analysis conversations where they're analyzing the data and making being very careful not to make any grandiose claims, not to make any medical recommendations, just analyzing the data in the same way as Chris Martinson was doing over at Peak Prosperity, looking at the vitamin D studies early on. And these people are being suppressed. It is obvious that there's an active information suppression campaign going on. And it, it's, it's, not to, it's, not, it's not there to help you. They're not suppressing the information on vitamin D. They're not making it prescription only in South Africa because they want you to be a healthy, independent, sovereign citizen. <laughs> and and the reason I said canary in the coal mine is because what they did was is they took the most extreme person 
and they said, we're going to, we're going to unperson this person. He's not going to be able to speak his mind. He's not going to be able to make profit off of this in any form or fashion. And everybody on, on what I would consider our side, let's say, who didn't necessarily agree with what he was saying. Right. But I, I think most Bitcoiners would believe as, as if you believe in self-sovereignty, you believe in the idea of free speech right you can be an asshole and you can say whatever you want and that's fine because you know what as a, as another self-sovereign person what i'm going to do is i'm going to take what you're going to say whatever it is you could tell me the frogs are what's that gay. the frogs the are frogs are gonna, well the thing of it is is he wasn't wrong right like all of the all right. of the shit exactly. that the estrogen and everything else is getting flushed on the toilet was actually converting frogs right like gay is a weird term because it's not true but it was converting like male frogs to female frogs and it, like there was there's That's actually right. there's actually a basis for what he's saying he just said it in a very again that very theatric you know reaching the back seats kind of way and and the thing of it was is they used him as the litmus test they said if we can deplatform right. this guy because he's so far and i don't know if you guys are familiar with the term overton window right okay yeah uh, all right jeff Look up Overton window. It's an important, it's an important thing. Uh, legitimately, I'm not, I am not. So Overton window, essentially it was, it was created by two, um, psychologists or sociologists and they, it, one of, I, I think one of them was called Overton. I'm not exactly sure about that, but essentially the world looks through a lens. Okay. And, and that lens encompasses everything we accept as true and right. Okay. And if we can shift that window to the left or to the right, we can change what people will accept. We can change, we can change what people consider good and right and fair. And so what they did was they took the most extreme person and they said, we have to get rid of this guy for the good of everybody because he's so dangerous. He's so out there. He's so crazy. And so once that happened, the window shifted a little bit. And so suddenly people who maybe you wouldn't have thought was super extreme before, now suddenly they become the extreme, right? And so we... They came for Alex Jones and I, and I didn't protest right. you know, because I exactly. wasn't Exactly, right? And then, I, they, I, and they came for Alex Berenson and I didn't protest because I wasn't an anti-vaxxer. Mm -hmm. So... So, no so the next, the next step is going to be people like, and it was next people were like a Glenn Beck or, uh, you know, and now, now we've moved down to like a Tucker Carlson. Right. And again, I'm not, I'm not arguing for or against, I don't care, make your own decisions. Right. But like Tucker Carlson, in my view, he puts out things that are, they're biased. I will say that they're biased, you know, because they are. But I, I also don't see he's not saying shit like the frog's going to turn gay or that uh, all of our um, all of our leaders are lizard people from the center of the planet or some shit like that. He's just saying, you know, maybe uh, maybe the narrative that the mainstream media is giving you isn't 100 percent accurate, you know. And so now he's the next window that they're shifting towards and they're trying to get rid of. And you know who the next guy is? I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to give you a little inside baseball. The next guy is going to be fucking Bill Maher. Bill Maher is one of the most liberal people I've ever seen, right, on, on late night television. But he's starting to kind of like say things that are not going to fit the mainstream. And he's going to be the next Overton window. They're going to start going after him. I, I 
put it down, mark it, six to eight months, people are going to start to call for Bill Maher to step down to get rid of him. That's what's going to happen. So this is the Overton window is the idea of shifting expectations to basically fit their narrative, whoever they are, right? And it can go both ways. The window can shift left or right, as it were. But for the most part, it kind of just keeps shifting left, you know? So and it's it being pushed left exactly. deliberately with an agenda by the mainstream media, which was first covered by, well, I shouldn't say first, but I was first exposed to this idea when I read Noam Chomsky's Manufacturing Consent, you know, and, and he basically talks about how just through the use of choice adjectives, you can put a spin on a story while still appearing to be neutral. Which is interesting because while- from what I've read about Noam, he's pretty leftist, right? Like he's a... Absolutely. Yeah. He is, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I read his stuff in the late nineties and he showed how, you know, the, the supposed neutral media will sh- put these very subtle spins. They're obvious when you know how to look at them, but they still maintain the veneer of impartiality. And he kind of exposed that back when the news was still under some, like they still pretended like they were neutral and they hadn't factioned right into Fox versus CNN right. at that point. So Look up Overton Window. It's a fascinating, uh, fascinating subject, honestly. And uh, I don't know. You can, you can find books. You can find articles on it. But it it is an interesting take, and it it uh, it started, I think, in earnest with uh, with uh, Alex. I really do. He was the first guy who they really went after, and they just used his over the top rhetoric to kind of single him out. I, I think and if I could just, I'm just going to posit this, you know, I don't think they were ever really worried about him. Like he wasn't, he, he had a pretty big following, but he, he wasn't, right. you know, he wasn't moving mountains with his rhetoric because most of us were like frogs right. gay. Come on, man. Like, you know, it's whatever. So it was very easy for them to start moving that needle. But once they figured out that they could, you know, it's sort of like um, in the United States, the whole uh, um, Bernstein Woodward, right? Once they took down Nixon and the press figured out that they could actually influence as opposed to just reporting, well, there you go, right? We can we can take down a sitting president just by reporting on a topic. It changes the whole mission statement of of news as going from the idea of we're just going to be here to report what happened in the day to this idea of we're going to report things to change what happens tomorrow. You know, that quantum entanglement. Say again? Quantum Quantum entanglement. entanglement. Now they're affecting it. Yeah. They become, they become the narrative. They become, and this 24 hour news cycle, uh, you know what? I'm off topic. I'm sorry. I'm just, uh, well, back to Noam Chomsky, I mean, he what with what he taught us about just the way the narrative is constructed, you can see where it's being pushed to. And so, you know, using the skills that I, analytical skills I learned from reading that book, I saw the Iraq war uh, in, in uh, 2002, 2003 coming like a year ahead of time because they started saying it's not going to happen. And using that same type of 
analytical reasoning and look at the message that they're propagating on the news today, it's vaccine passports and eventually internment camps. We're going to have gulags for your health, for medical safety, because, you know, these dangerous unvaxxed people just can't be left free to, to ruin society. And that's the narrative that I see. And I'm, I'm calling it early, just like I called the Iraq war early. And everyone around me told me I was crazy. They said, don't you watch TV? It says on the news, we're not going to go to war with Iraq. And it's like, okay, so I'm calling it now. And everyone will tell me I'm crazy. You're right. You said it earlier, put the tinfoil hat on my icon or whatever. But um, I'm just, I, I see things coming earlier because I pay attention to the narrative and hopefully, you know, through Bitcoin, we're all kind of doing that and having that information asymmetry so we can see. These Would you say that before. you had this kind of perspective before Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, I read Chomsky in, in the mid 90s and I read it again in like 99, which is why I was really open to that idea after September 11th when when they started talking about the war in Iraq. And oh, so like, you're talking about the first war in Iraq. You're talking about. Well, no, I watched the first war in Iraq in 1990. I watched from my mom's couch and, you know, in real time right, on TV. Right, right. But the second one, you know, I was employed and I, I had already read Chomsky as a teenager, but then I had read it a few years again okay. later and just really soaked it up better. And then all of a sudden, September 11th, oh, wow, it's this big tragedy, obviously. And then it's like, wait a minute, how are we invading Afghanistan? I say we, I'm not even American, but like, how is this army off the shore of right. Afghanistan ready to go to war? They left in June. Like, why is nobody talking about yep. this? And then all of a sudden the narrative switches to Iraq. It's yeah. like, we're still in the middle of a war in, in Afghanistan and they're talking about Iraq. And I just like, I just thought back to Chomsky and I'm like, well, this means they're setting us up for a war in Iraq and using those same analytical skills, they're setting us up for medical apartheid right now. They want vaccinated versus unvaccinated to be separated and eventually to be quarantined and, you know, straight to the gulags in the I, end. I, you know, I, I have to admit that. So, <clears throat> first Iraq war i actually remember it was actually kind of scary it was uh i was in basketball practice in eighth grade and uh basketball practice came to a screeching halt because that was the night that uh the big offensive happened and uh i i just i remember everyone kind of being scared and exhilarated at the same time and then i do remember i remember 9 11 obviously you know we all do and but i never I didn't have the same thought processes, right? I was still, and, and to this day, I, I mean, and I've said this before on the show, I, I still love what this country was founded on and I believe in those ideals. And, and so in that sense, I call myself a proud American because I believe in those concepts. I think they have been horribly bastardized, especially in the last hundred years. But, um, I really didn't quite get any of that, honestly, until I started to look into Bitcoin. When I started to understand how the money flowed and what was happening with that, that's what it took for me to really wake up to this idea that um, things like, why why are we going into Afghanistan? Like, I know I understood what the, the argument was at the time. Oh, well, that's where the terrorists are. Okay, but... You know, and then 20 years later, especially you're looking at it and you're going, yeah, but we didn't get them. Like, what are we doing? You know, it, it just. And, and more than that, they had the army on the way there before the September 11th. Oh, attack. did they? Like, is that just. 
Oh yeah, that army, that, that invasion force left the United States in like May and June in order to be offshore by October for that November invasion. So they were on their way well before that attack happened. So is that just like the most convenient coincidence of all time? All right, well, listen, I am not going to go down that rabbit hole with you. I just, that one, I, I, I'm not ready for it. <laughs> can you imagine being a listener right now and being like maybe somebody's listening with a notepad and they're looking down at their notepad of all the things we've talked about in the last couple hours and they're like holy crap what did i just listen to like Yes. Agreed. No, that's a that's a great cap, dude. That's a great cap on it. it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of what any of I, what I said is true, um, what what is true is that you should do your best to become a sovereign individual, and that includes taking care of your own finances. And the the only way to do that is Bitcoin. Amen, brother. A hundred percent. Amen. All right, so let me let me do uh, my my little standard fare here. Diligent, this has been a gorgeous conversation. I mean, like this is definitely the sexy redhead of conversations. So, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. And before you go, um, we're gonna we're gonna do one more little game that we always do. But I do have to ask your commitment to come back on the show. Like that's just standard fare here on why Bitcoin. We always ask a guest if we've had cool. a good time with them, we ask them to come back at some point. So are you on board for that? Absolutely. All right, yes, sir. Good. Then I have, I, I, <laughs> that's a whole other oh, dude, yeah. I mean, I feel like diligent and I definitely have a lot more to talk about. Jeff, like to like just from a, Oh, you know what? I, I have a feeling I, I would feel safe and comfortable in both of your arms. It will be fine. <laughs> All right, Jeff, it's time. <laughs> all right go. all right so let's just recap from last week all right jeff was at thirty-three thousand four fifty-six, and i was at thirty-three nine sixty. and holy shit what just happened okay that's cool i just pulled up the app on my phone bitcoin right now is at forty-one thousand nine twenty. 
So uh, that would be another win for me, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting like closer to 39 right, hold on, here. Hold on. Oh, not shit. Now I got an ad for, oh, fuck. I got an ad for Robin Hood of all things. Come on now. Yeah. Are you serious? I'm still at, I've refreshed this like three times and I'm still at 41,000. Oh, you know what? I have the wrong amount of Bitcoin in there. I don't know how that happened. Hold on. All right. There we go. I, I was, for some reason, I was registering it at 1.08 Bitcoin. That's what has happened. All right. So Bitcoin is at 38,978 is the official tally of the Y Bitcoin this Monday evening. So, yes, I did win again. So what what's the score just for the record? Yes. Excellent, excellent. All right. So uh as the winner, I will go first. But here's how here's how we do it, diligent, is we take about 30 seconds. It's all on the honor system. You gotta write it down in, in advance. Okay. And so there's none of this last minute. I'm going to change my answer. Like you just got to kind of, when it comes to you, you got to read it. Okay. So uh, let's take 30 seconds and we'll start now. All right. I don't know if that's 30 seconds. If it's not, I'll just go ahead and edit it to make it 30 seconds. It's fine. All right. <laughs> I'll go first just to make it fair because I was the winner last week because uh, I, I was the winner in case you didn't hear that part, Jeff. All right. So <laughs> I am going to say we're going to have a little bit of a pullback. I'm going to go to 37,945. All right. Do you want to go first? Or you want to let the guests go first? All right. <laughs> from losing all my money, <laughs> from from all that TA experience when I lost my money, I'm, gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> I'm bullish. I'm going forty three five fifty. Forty three what? Five fifty. God damn! I hope you're wrong. Four thirty and thirty-two cents. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, God, I'm the bear this week. That's see, this is kind of a double whammy, right? Because if I lose, I'm not only the bear, but I'm the bear that lost. Like that sucks. That's <laughs> awful. You don't have to delete your account, like Minnesota. Did he actually delete his account? <laughs> He said if Bitcoin went under 40, he would delete his account. Bitcoin went under 40. He posted a gif of a stuffed bear falling off a cliff and then he deleted oh my God, his account. That's funny. That's funny. All right. So there you go. I'm at 37,945. Jeff's at 41,430, 32 cents. And Diligent is at 43,550. That's uh, That has yes, been sir. your weekly price check, everybody. 
Dude, this has been a great conversation, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your uh, your pleb take on everything. And uh, hopefully we have moved the Overton window back a little bit the other direction. That's that's what I, even if it's only for just right. our small audience, let's just, you know, take small victories, right? Fuck yeah. No, I'm not selling. All right, so once again, yeah, give give you give your your Twitter account though, guys. Go follow this guy right now. It's he's at diligent ninja. Uh huh. There you go. Uh, 